0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. This book has 40 chapters, so before you clock out, um, don't don't clock out on me because we're not going to go through all 40 chapters of the book of Exodus. Actually, we're going to go up right to chapter 20 and land at the Ten Commandments, but I, I need you to know a few things at the outset. About the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus is contained in one of the first five books um, of the Bible. It's a part of what scholars call the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, one of the first five books of the Bible. But the book Exodus literally means going out or to go out. It's really a picture of God's people, a story of God's people uh, who are in Egyptian bondage and slavery. They, They are dealing with some hard times, some real hard times that may be hard for us to imagine. Um, They they are weighed down by life. They are actually in a place that they don't want to be there, but it's not to any doing of their own. It's not something that they did wrong. They just happen to be in this uh, place due to unforeseen circumstances, and it seems like this slavery, this bondage that they are in is never going to end. And so what we'll see is the journey of God's people as they are on the move while they're in slavery, in bondage, but we'll see that they're not by themselves. They they actually have the perfect companion. They have God that is with them in this hard journey. And so our sermon series is going to be called God with us. God with us. God is going to be with his people in the Exodus. Now, you're probably wondering how in the world did they find themselves in slavery? Well, through a chain of events, uh, you, you've heard before of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Jacob has a son. Jacob's son is named Joseph. Joseph gets uh, sold out by his brothers. His brothers actually intend to essentially kill him. They sell him into slavery. He lands in Egypt. But how many you know sometimes what, what Satan means for evil, God means for good? And so Joseph finds himself in Egypt, but Joseph is not alone. God is with him, and God's favor finds Joseph in Egypt, so much so that Joseph becomes second in command in Egypt. He is an Israelite, but he's in Egypt and he rises through the, through the ranks. He almost essentially becomes the vice president of Egypt. And he's serving under a pharaoh. Now, oftentimes, when we hear the word pharaoh, we think pharaoh is a person. But pharaoh is not a person. Pharaoh is a title. There are more than one Pharaoh. And so Joseph is serving under this Pharaoh, and there's so much favor for Joseph. A famine happens where Joseph comes from, and, 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 and he tells Joseph, you can br- because you brought favor to Egypt, you can bring your family to Egypt with you. And so all of J- uh, Joseph's family comes to Egypt with him, even the brothers that tried to kill him. Now, if it was me, I would really, believe y'all stay where you're at. Right? But, but Joseph is a, is a is, you would have done that too. But Joseph is a godly man. He allows his family to come and they experience favor and prosperity and fruitfulness for, for many, many, many years. And then Joseph dies. But the people are still experiencing favor in Egypt. The Israelites are experiencing favor in Egypt. Uh, They're multiplying there. They're fruitful there. They're prosperous there. But then something happens. Something happens. Uh, The first chapter of Exodus chapter 1, it tells us that a new king that did not know Joseph came to power in Egypt. That's horrible. And you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? You ever worked at a job for a long time? You liked your job. They let you have a long lunch break. They told you to go as long as you want. They didn't really check you for when you showed up to work. If you left a little bit early, your boss was okay. You had all of these special privileges and agreements uh, and and, and things with, with 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 the management. They liked you. You had a special parking spot. And then one day, if you've ever worked somewhere long enough, then there's a management change. And all the agreements and stipulations that you had with the previous regime no longer exist. And have you ever experienced before when you've been working at a job and a new boss comes in and the new boss is not as nice as the old boss and the new boss is like, I don't care what agreement you have with them, this is my way and it's my way or the highway. And so those long lunches are now 30 minutes. That parking space right up front, now you got to walk a mile like everybody else. They, when they didn't check you uh, for how you showed up or if you had to show up at nine, 9 o'clock but you came in at 9, 10, it was still okay, no longer. Now you have to show up at 8 o'clock. You know how you used to leave at 4.45 to go pick up the kids? Now they're like, so what? You got to stay until 5 o'clock. Matter of fact, all the resources that you use to do your job with, all the things that help you uh, to be prosperous in this job, I'm taking all of those resources from you. Now you got to do the same amount of work with, the less, with less resources. And, and I'm going to be hard on you this entire time that you're working. And this is what's happening to the people of Israel while they are in Egypt. A regime change has happened, and now they don't know what to do about it, but they're stuck. And now a people who were once free overnight, a place that was once a place of favor and prosperity becomes a place of pain, suffering, and discomfort. And God is with them in this. This new pharaoh was not favorable. He sought to destroy them with hard work and hard labor. And here's why this Pharaoh doesn't like them because this Pharaoh is like, hey, if these Israelites are here and the way that they're reproducing and populating, if they get together with one of our foreign enemies, they're going to take over. And so we got to do whatever we can to oppress them so so that they don't take over from us. And so we're going to make them work hard and we're going to work them so much and so hard that they don't even have time to procreate. He was like, I I don't want to give them any time to do anything, to have any leisure, any activity, any pleasure. I just want them to work so that they don't uh, keep growing and take over for us. And so, but he didn't understand that these are God's people. And the harder he oppressed them, the more they kept having children. I'm trying to figure, they they was figuring it out. They were figuring it out. God's hand was on them and they kept growing. And God is with them but they don't realize that God is with them because all they can feel is the pain. And sometimes God is with you and you don't even know that God is with you and God is working for you because all you can see is what you're going through. And the pain blinds your eyes and closes up your ears to the goodness of God. And but what, what he doesn't realize is, this Pharaoh doesn't realize is, what worse than giving them hard, laborious work, he's obstructing God's people from worshiping. These are not just ordinary people. These are God's People, This was God's elect, and they were created to worship, and as uh, Pharaoh uh, 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 put them in further bondage, and no matter what strategy he used, God was still working on their behalf because God was for them and God was with them. They didn't know that, though. And as reality would have it, for any people that are suffering and oppressed for any extended period of time, they will eventually cry out for help. And because they are the people of God, the good news is when his people cry out, we serve a God who will answer and respond to our prayers. Exodus 2.24 tells us God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw Israel and he knew them. God saw them and he knew them. I want to tell you today that God sees you and God knows you. And responding to the painful prayers, God raises up a man by the name of Moses. Going through this introduction, I'm going to get to the text in a minute. God God introduces them to a guy named Moses. Moses is an Israelite who's been raised in Egyptian culture. He raises a leader up to lead his people out of this bondage into him. So he raises up a guy by the name of Moses, and the first couple chapters of Exodus tells us the story of Moses from his birth and how he came about in the leadership. But here's the problem. When God calls Moses, Moses is reluctant to respond to the call of God. He's like, I don't want this. I'm incapable. I can't do this. I'm not equipped to do this. I don't don't want to do this. I know I have a responsibility that you've called me to. I don't want to do this because I'm not capable. Matter of fact, you should find somebody else and call somebody else to do this work. But let me tell you something. When God calls you, God is never calling you based on. You, God is calling you based on Him. You may think it's about your, your, your skill set and your giftedness and what you got on the, uh, the strengths finder test and what you got on the Enneagram. God doesn't care about any of that. God does not wait for you to be well equipped. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the call. But Moses is reluctant. Oh, I, I can't speak. I'm, I'm, I can't do it. I'm not equipped to do what you've called me to do. And God literally ignores Moses. God ignores him, but God wants him to lead his people. Moses has one responsibility as a leader, and every spiritual leader has the same response lead God's people to God. And God has a plan for his people, for them to worship and have a relationship with them. And the people of God at first are receptive to this, but as they go through hard times, and God says things to them through Moses, And what God promised doesn't happen in the time that they expected it to happen. The people get discouraged, and now they don't want to have to hear what Moses has to say. And so the people are getting antsy, anxious, and they're tired of waiting. But what the people needed to realize was is God is suffering. God is sovereign in their suffering, and God is sovereign in our suffering. And so we pick the story up after Moses has done exactly what God told him to do. God instructed Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And the plan does not work exactly how God told Moses that it would not work. And here's where we pick it up: Exodus five, verses twenty through twenty-two, all the way through Exodus six twelve. Exodus five twenty-two, all the way through Exodus six twelve. Here's what it says: So Moses. Went back to the Lord and asked, "Lord, why have you, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and haven't you haven't rescued your people at all?" But the Lord replied to Moses, "Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go, and because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land." Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, "I." am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. And i will bring you out from the forced labor of the egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them i will redeem you with an outstretched arm and acts of judgment i will take you as my people and i will be your god you will know that i am the lord your god who brought you out from forced labor of the egyptians i will bring you to the land i swore to give to abraham isaac and jacob and i will give it to you as a possession i am the lord moses told this to the israelites But they didn't listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and told him, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time today. I pray, God, that you bless your people through the studying of your word. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would speak to us by the Spirit. God, let us hear what we need to hear, God. Let it hit our hearts, God. Let it renew our minds. Let it serve to give us courage. Let us trust you, God, by hearing your word. Lord, let us look at this story, God, with with eyes wide open. Open the eyes of our hearts, God, so that we can receive and we can respond. And so, Father, I pray for clarity today. I pray that Christ will be made known today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. God is with us. God is with us. I think it's interesting that we see this text and we see that Moses is already feeling like, man, I was right that God shouldn't have sent me to speak to Pharaoh, that that this is not what should have happened. He should have called... Some, somebody else. Matter of fact, when Moses goes to speak to Pharaoh, Pharaoh in Exodus, Exodus chapter 5 has a, a crazy response. Pharaoh says, I hear what you're saying about letting the people go, but who is the Lord? I, I don't know him. Who, who is the Lord? Who is this God that I should actually obey him. Matter of fact, I don't know the Lord, and besides, no matter what you say or who sent you, I'm not letting these people go. F- Pharaoh is not moved by him speaking or making a request in God's name. He arrogantly responds and says, I don't I don't know the Lord. I don't care about this. This is not important to me, and he does just as God told Moses he would do. He refuses to let the people go, but God is actually the reason that, that the Pharaoh refused uses to let the people go. Do you hear what I just said? That that it's not that Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go. It's because God has put it in Pharaoh's heart to not let his people go. Why would God do that? Because God is doing something on behalf of his people, even if his people doesn't know what's happening. And so God has hardened this Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh's response is far worse than Moses could have ever anticipated. Moses thought maybe he'd just say no, uh, or maybe he would just let the people go. But Moses does not anticipate that Pharaoh's response was not only to not let the people go, but Pharaoh's response is, since you even asked I'm going to actually increase their labor and increase their suffering. Just because you came to me, you wanted these people to take a break and go worship God. Because you even asked, I'm going to now make it even harder on the people than I did before. I'm going to increase their suffering. I'm going to increase the labor. I'm going to add more work. I'm actually going to beat some of the workers if they come to me and ask me to relent off of this pain and this suffering. And even in amongst all of that, God is still sovereign during their hardship. God is actually aware of Pharaoh's response because God is the one who made Pharaoh's heart hard. God is the one who did this, and and Moses is asking the question, why are you causing trouble for your people? This is a legitimate question. God, if you know everything, if you see what is happening, if you know your people, why are you giving them a hard time? Why are you doing this? Ever since I went to speak in your name, it's caused trouble for your people, and you have not rescued your people at all now now, when I read this I thought the book of Exodus is going to end right there because he's talking crazy to God he actually says God you cause this trouble for your people God you you this is your fault number one you're wrong for sending me and number two you're a terrible God because you're causing trouble for your people I thought God was going to literally strike Moses dead right there in the text but he doesn't Moses blames God because Moses assumed that that either Pharaoh will respond and will be a quick deliverance or something a neutral would happen, but not what Pharaoh did. And he's essentially saying, "God, do you even know what you are are doing?" And, and the conversation uh, that that I'm that I'm witnessing that that he's having with Pharaoh is accusing God uh, of taking out his anger on his people, and he's telling God, "You you haven't rescued your people at all. Got what?" are you doing? Have you ever thought to yourself when you were going through something in life, God, why are you doing this? If you are a good God, and I worship you, and I serve you, and I give to you, and I serve your people, and I love people, why, why, why why are you doing this? Why, why Why are you doing this? Why, why haven't you come through for me? Why haven't you come through for me? And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, God is about to do something to Moses, but I realize God doesn't do anything to Moses. He didn't respond the way I think God would respond because Moses first doesn't go and complain to people about God. Moses actually takes his issues with God to God. Moses shows us what it's like to be frustrated, to be anxious, to have anxiety, to be perplexed by life and not take your complaints to people about God. Rather, he addresses the source, and so as opposed to suppressing his problems, he takes them directly to God. This is a lesson for us when we have struggles in life, when we have pain in life, when we go through seasons of suffering. I'm talking about extended seasons of suffering. Typically, we go to other people to complain about our plight, but Moses is showing us the first line of business is not to go to people, but to go to God. Moses is showing us this. As opposed to complaining to people, Moses takes his raw emotions and his frustrations to God. And I think this is why God doesn't respond how I thought he would respond to a man who has accused him. And instead of addressing Moses' accusations, do you see what God does in verse 1? But the Lord replied to Moses, now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he'll let them go. And because of a strong hand, he'll drive them from this land. I think God appreciated that Moses brought his complaints to God. And so God is saying, Moses, just keep your eyes on me. Moses, I know you don't understand what's happening, but watch me work. Moses, I I know that Pharaoh's reluctant to let the people go. I I need you to see his reluctance. I need you to see his stubbornness. I'm I'm trying to get you to see this. I'm trying to get you not to suffer with your eyes closed. I think that's good for us to know that when we're going through stuff, don't just close your eyes, but open your eyes to see what God is doing. Oftentimes, we ask God why, when we really should be asking God what. And the reason why I say that is, we ask what, we're asking God, what are you trying to do in this situation? What are you trying to do in my heart? What are you trying to do in my life? What, what are you trying to get me to see God? Not why. I know the why is God's glory but the what. What what are you trying to do in this particular situation through me? I know it's hard. It's lasts for a long time, but God, what exactly are you doing? What are you trying to get me to see? And he's trying to get Moses to see that God is sovereign in this situation. God is in complete control of what is happening to his people because there's nothing you or the Israelites can do to make Pharaoh let you go. So now you have to see what I will do. I know that he's rejecting you. I know when you asked in my name, he told you to take a hike. I know he increased your suffering. I know all these things. And though the suffering is hard, the lesson is far better. The lesson is greater. As far as Pharaoh's concerned, I'm going to take care of him. But in his refusal to let my people go, he's throwing up judgment for himself. But for you and for the people of God, every time he rejects you and things get harder for you, I'm revealing to you that there is no way that you can save yourself. So I'm allowing him to make it hard for you, that there's no way you can rescue yourself out of this predicament that you find yourself. You, you can't free yourself from bondage. M- Moses, the leader that, that, that is put in charge of the people, he can't save the people. God is working something. God is making Pharaoh's heart hard. He's making it so that the people have no other options. they exhausted resorted all of their resources. They've done everything that they could possibly do to change the situation, and nothing is happening. And God is saying, now I got you right where I wanted you. Could it be? Your situation hasn't changed because God is trying to get you to see him. And what he's saying is you're asking for deliverance. You're asking to be free. You're asking for salvation, but you need something greater than human. You need something divine. You need a strong hand, one that is stronger than Pharaoh's. And the bad news is that you're too weak and you aren't strong enough, but if you will move out of the way and stop relying on yourself, stop working for your own freedom, my power and and, and my power and my might will be what lets people go. Salvation is not found in our work. Salvation is not found in our strength. Salvation is not found in our might. It's not found in our wisdom or human ingenuity. Salvation is found in God and in God alone. And he's trying to get the people to see you can't get yourself out of this. You don't have the answers. You can't see the future, but you can see me. And this is what God is trying to get them to know, that you can trust in God and in God alone for your salvation. This is not just for our natural lives. This is more importantly for our spiritual lives. That we don't serve a God who is based on a religion of works, but it's by grace. We cannot save ourselves. Salvation is not in us because if we could have saved ourselves, we would have done it a long time ago. If the people that we know who have all the resources have saved us and got us out of whatever predicament we found ourselves in they would have done it for us but they can't and so god sometimes shuts everything else down and provides no way else besides himself and that is what he's doing in this text if you've tried to save yourself if you tried to save yourself if you are banking on your good work saving you if you're banking on your education saving you if you're banking on being a good citizen and staying out of trouble saving you that will not work salvation is found in god and in god alone this is what he's trying to show them and so he wants to point out to Moses that I'm with you and so when we look at verses two through five he's reassuring Moses that Moses I haven't left you I am who I've always been and look at verses two through five he says then he spoke to Moses telling him I am the Lord you will see this theme keep happening throughout our text I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. He says, I am the Lord, but he says the patriarchs didn't know me as I am the Lord. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know me that way. Well, well I have a question because if you read the Genesis account. I am the Lord is used over a hundred times. They refer to him as I am the Lord. They talk about the Lord. They use his name, but he says here that they didn't know me. And what he's saying is they knew my name, but they didn't know me. We follow people on social media. You know their name, but you don't know them. Following somebody and knowing somebody are two different things. And what he's saying is, they knew my name, but now you are about to know me. And the way you're going to know me is through what I'm about to do through the people of God while they are in bondage. And what God is saying is, it's not enough just for you to know the name of Jesus. You need to be in relationship with Jesus. And this is what he's pointing out to them. He says, I, I, they knew me. I, I, made a, I made a covenant with Abraham. I made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about something called, don't be, be afraid, he's, he's talking about something called the Abrahamic covenant. Well, God made a generational covenant with Abraham. Here's what it says, Genesis 15, 13 through 14. Now I think this is interesting because the people are in Egypt thinking that they're going to be there forever. But God made a covenant long ago, and it says this, then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward they will go out. What does Exodus mean? Going out. So God saw what was going to happen to them years before it happened but God made a promise years before that even when they find themselves there no matter how long it takes there's coming a day when they are going to come out and he's saying I gave that word to Abram but now you're going to see that word come to fruition in real time and so you can trust me you can trust me I am the Lord he knew me as a promise keeper He knew me as a promise maker. Moses, you're going to know me as a promise keeper. He knew me as one who made the promise. Now you're going to see me as the one who keeps my promise. And so he's saying, I'm a covenant-keeping God. I am the Lord. He's saying, I'm a covenant-keeping God. There's no way I can go back on my word. If I said something, it will come to pass. If I spoke something, it is going to happen. I am a covenant-keeping God. Men lie, women lie, God does not. God God is going to keep his word. If he said it in his word, he is going to keep his word. Now, I'm not saying something that you felt funny about and you got something in your spirit. God wants me to have that car. That's, That's not what God said in his word. God is going to give me a large bank account. God is going to make me a millionaire. God did not say that in his word. God didn't say it in his word. And, and, but, but he did make promises. And he says, I am a covenant keeping God that I'm going, going to bring my people out. I've remembered my covenant with my people. And what he's saying is, you can have confidence in your present circumstance because I am the Lord. That if I promise you peace, you'll experience peace. That if I told you that you'd be forgiven, then you're forgiven. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of truth. If I told you that you would experience joy in me, you will experience joy. God is a covenant-keeping God. And so God gives this reassurance to Moses because Moses is leading the people. But God is not just thinking about Moses, God is thinking about the people of God. And he wants to reassure not just Moses, but he wants to reassure the people. And this is what God does in verses 6 through 8. And I want you to notice that God once again keeps telling them that I am the Lord, but he gives them seven I wills, seven I wills between verses six through eight. Would you look at this? Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God makes all of these promises to them. He's saying, I'm the Lord. I got you. I got you. I am the Lord. You can trust in me. You don't have to run anywhere else. deliverance I I am the Lord I I, I have you I, I got you I will rescue you I will bring you out I will redeem you I will buy you back redemption in those days he says I'll redeem you with outstretched arm and acts of judgment I will redeem you back in those days to redeem a person typically meant that a family member a kinsman had to go to a person in their family if that person was in debt or enslaved because of their debt and a kinsman a family member had to come and buy them back to pay off their debt so that they could no longer be a slave. And God says, With outstretched arms, I will redeem you. I think that's interesting that He says, With outstretched arms, because I'm thinking about another situation that we saw in Calvary where God, with outstretched arms, redeemed His people, not from Egyptian bondage, but from spiritual bondage. With outstretched arms, God saved us and brought us back. When we think of redeemers, we think of a kinsman we think of the story of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz is referred to as the kinsman redeemer because he has to be the one to get them out of slavery and buy them back. And this is what God has done for us through his son Jesus. He's saying, I'll redeem you. I'll redeem you. If you are in Christ, you have been redeemed. I will set you free. Because of Jesus, we have been redeemed. But here's the beautiful thing. There's always intentionality and purpose And God's deliverance for his people. I think this is important because then he says, I will take you as my people and I'll be your God. And what he's saying is, I'll adopt you. I'll adopt you. I'm not just going to redeem you so that you can get out of Egypt and just go figure it out on your own. He says, I'm going to redeem you and not just let you be to yourself and figure it out on your own. I'm actually going to adopt you and what he's saying is I'm going to bring you into my family that I won't just be a God I will be your God he's talking about a personal relationship he's saying I'm not just saving you to save you I'm saving you because you belong to me I'm saving you for myself. If you are saved, you have not been saved just so you can go and do your own thing, but you've been saved so that God can have a relationship with you. When he talks about adoption, he's speaking as a father that is coming to get his son. He's speaking speaking as a father that's coming to get his child. And so we think about God telling Moses to get the people out of Egypt, to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. I think what we'll find interesting, that is in Exodus chapter 4 verse 22, when he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. He doesn't say tell them to let the Israelites go. He says, tell them to let my firstborn son go. He refers to Egypt as his child. He refers to Egypt as his son. It was always God's intention for them to belong to him, for God to take them as his prized possession, as his children. And this is how God sees us. He's not a God that is distant or far off from us. He is a God that is near to us. He is a God that loves us. He is a God that sees us as his sons and daughters. And God is not some deadbeat dad. God is not some absent parent. God is a good father, a father who shows up for his children, a father who is there for his children, a father who takes care of his children, a father who sees his kids and knows his kids, who gets down in the trenches with his kids, who gets down in the low parts of life with his kids. And he is there because he has adopted them and brought them into his family. And that is what happens to you and I God didn't just save us he adopted us you don't belong to you you belong to God and this is what he's doing to Israel that he is their God and I think this is interesting because as he hardens Pharaoh's heart it looks like it's impossible and God is doing that on purpose so that when they finally come out No one else will be able to take the credit but God. If you've ever found yourself in a situation, or if you're in a situation today that you can't seem to get yourself out of, or if you're dealing with a sin that seems too great, maybe you've been struggling for years. Maybe it's not some grotesque, crazy sin. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's envy but whatever it is, whatever it is, God is with you. No matter how hard it seems, God is the one who can bring you out. I love counseling. I love therapy. I think it's great and I think people should do it but your therapist can't save you. I think parents are great. I think spouses are great, but they weren't meant to save you. Spouses make horrible gods, but God is the one who can save us. No matter how hard it may seem for you today, if you feel like you're stuck, there's one person who can get you out is God. And maybe God has been waiting for you to realize that he is all you need, that he is actually your redeemer, that he is the one that has been put here to save you and for God this is more than just some relief from hardship and pain and suffering this is about really establishing a relationship this is about having a relationship with his people God desires a relationship with his people far more than we desire to be free from our hardship do you hear what I just said that God desires a relationship with you more than you desire to be free that God wants to be in relationship with you God wants to be in covenant with you And just maybe, maybe God has not set some of us free because we would only use our freedom to go and find another God to worship. Maybe he knows that we would go and find another idol. Maybe he knows that, but God wants to free us To go from one master to another master. From from serving the master of sin, Satan, and the world to come to serve a better master. God wants to free us, not so that we can be free, but he wants to free us so that we can be slaves to Christ. So it makes sense when Jesus extends the invitation to those who are weary. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice he doesn't say you won't have to work anymore. Notice he didn't say there won't be any more labor. He just said take up my yoke for my burden is easy. It's light, it's lighter. So God offers us an invitation to come Supposed to being slaves to the world to be slaves to Christ, God frees us to serve him. So, God extends the invitation to all of us today who are here and who may, who may be weighed down by life. Maybe you're going through something that other people can't see. Maybe there's something happening in your life today that other people can't see the extent of it. We don't know what happened to you, but God does. We don't know the depth of your pain, but God does. We don't know what happened to you that you didn't expect, but God does. I want to speak to you right to where you are today, that God sees you, God knows you, God hears your prayers. No matter what has happened to you or where you find yourself right now in your journey with God, God has not left you. God is a good God. He promised to never leave you nor forsake you. God has seen you as his son and his daughter, and he's a good father. And if a good parent would take care of their children, how much more would God do so? You're not by yourself. God is with you today. God is with you while you're sitting right here. When you leave church in the comforts of the sanctuary in the house of God, God is with you. When you find yourself lonely on Monday, you're making that drive to the job that you don't want to go to. God is with you. When life shows back up and you see those financial struggles and those emotional struggles and those ups and downs that life brings to all of us, God has not left you alone. God is actually with you, but God invites you to come take that yoke off and put on his. God is providing rest for his children, and this is what he wants to do for Egypt. But it's interesting. God makes all these promises. Moses tells the people that I will be with them, that I'll redeem them. That, that I'm going to judge the people who are doing harm, doing harm to them. I, I, I see them. I, I know them. I, I got them. I will deliver them. I will bring them out. I will bring them into a land that they will possess as their own. I will do all of this. He makes these beautiful promises. They should have been jumping up and down. They should have been excited and celebrating, knowing that if God said it, then God meant it. It's going to happen to us. We just have to wait. But sin gets in the way. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. Look at what the people have to say in response to all these promises. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, said, go and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go from this land. But I want to look at the response of the people they couldn't listen because of their broken spirit and hard labor because hope is often killed by suffering. Faith is often diminished by hardship especially when the suffering is ongoing. And I'm, I'm sure we can understand the plight of the people that live under hard labor for, for years. The trauma that can put into the psyche of a group of people. It, it can impede upon people's Ability to trust, not just trust people, but, but especially to trust God. Think about this. For someone to go through labor for years and years and years, this 400-year experience of hard labor and slavery, it has implications. You don't just get over that. You don't just get over it. A people, a group of people don't just get over something. It's better now, so you can just get over No, that's not how that works. Because trauma takes a long time. Trauma can seep itself in and becomes a part of a person's or a group of people's identity. And so I can feel them, they can't hear because their spirits are broken. What do you do when you cry out to God for years? Nothing happens. What do you do when labor and life has been hard for longer than you could have ever imagined? And you're still trying to hold them to your faith. No matter who comes and try to speak life to you, you can't hear it because the pain is speaking louder than the voice is trying to speak to, you, speak to you. And this is what's happening in the text. They, they can't hear it. It sounds good. It's good news. But they can't hear it. It's, it's impeding upon their ability to trust because deep discouragement has set in. And that's where some of us are today. And this is where some of us live. That even when we read the Bible, it doesn't grip our hearts because our spirits are broken. Life has happened to some of us for so long that we don't really have any hope. That, that you no longer even struggle with sin. You've given up. As opposed to struggling with it, you now say, this is who I am. And we've all had those moments where we have some sort of outburst or a lapse in judgment and we say, this is, this is who I am. But it's not who you are. So he's speaking to, speaking to them. We need to be cautious in deciding whether something is God's will or not by looking at how it is right now in the moment. Just because it's not working out how you thought doesn't mean it's not God's will. How many of us have moved out of places or left places or jobs or or God want us to sit for a second where we were and we moved prematurely out of God's will because we couldn't take the pain? But I just want to say today whether you made a move or not, God is present in your suffering. God is with you right where you are. God is working out his will right now in your life. God is working in our waiting. You may not know what God is doing right now. You don't know what's next for you. But I can tell you one thing, God ain't just sitting idly by with his hands ringing. God is working on your behalf today. And maybe he's not changing your circumstance, but I can assure you that if you are in Christ, he is changing one thing, he's changing you. That The Bible tells us in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, that that that, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit is being poured out in our hearts. God is working something in you while you wait. So I don't know where you are today, and maybe you've given up. You might have given up, but God hasn't. Maybe you don't know what your next move is. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen In your life, with your family, your job, your career, with your finances, with your relationship. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen, but God does. And what God is trying to get us to see today is, as opposed to looking to your problems, look to me. Don't ask why. Ask what. God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? I love this. I love this. He gives us this story so that we can learn from it and grow from it. Because in this we can see that their pain is not punitive, it's purposeful. Your pain is not punitive, it is purposeful. The Israelites are where they are not because they did anything wrong. They're there because of God's providence. And sometimes God's providence includes pain. But the pain is not punitive. It's purposeful. Somebody needs to hear today that God is not punishing you. But God is working out his purpose in your heart. God is not mad at you. God does not hate you. He loves you. But in your waiting, let God work. God, why did this happen to us? No, God, what are you doing through what happened to us? Because ultimately, this was not about them. It's about him. And what is happening to you is not about you, but it is about God. How crazy is it to stand in the pulpit in 2021 and tell the people of God that life is not about them? How strange to hear a message in church that, that, that's not centered around how you'll get what you want but how we do what God wants us to do. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. And let me tell you something. God's plan for your life is far greater than your own. But I get it. Sometimes pain prevents proper perception. And we can't see the forest for the trees, but I'm telling you today that God promises outlast our pain. God's promises are still what they are. Never lose hope in God. Never lose hope in Him. He is a mighty God that is mighty to save. So with the Holy Spirit's help, let us be mature in how we perceive what is happening to us. To know that God is using it and working it out for his purposes. That if God promised deliverance for his people, God is true to his promises. And I want to close with this and allow God's promises to speak right into our brokenness today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says this: For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. In Christ. And so we think about this promised land. All of God's promises find their yes in Christ Jesus. He is our promised land. He is the land flowing with milk and honey. The land flowing with milk and honey was just a land of peace and rest. And in that, we find that in Christ Jesus. He is our land of peace and rest and freedom from our enemies and forgiveness and joy and prosperity. All of that is found in Christ Jesus. And it's yours today if you will put your trust in him. If God be for us, who could be against us? So I want to tell you today, no matter where you are and what you've been through, God is with you. The story of our lives is not our own, but it is God's story. And God is a far greater author than you and I could ever be. Let us pray.